Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, we are going to get back into the Ten Commandments tonight. And we are going to look at number six. I just want to make sure you guys are with me, okay? Number six, the sixth commandment. And uh, this is the, the shortest uh, one we've looked at so far. Uh, just, uh, in fact, in the original Hebrew, just two words. But let's read it, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Now, just to introduce this commandment, I thought it would be interesting just to share with you or remind you of a few of the most controversial stories that have made the headlines over the past six months or so. Uh, we've all been watching the Obama administration and their stance on the war against terror uh, that seems to be constantly changing and shifting. And um, President uh, Obama decided to withdraw troops from Iraq and Afghanistan, as you know, to end that conflict, which they deemed unnecessary, and then to uh, turn around and then authorize airstrikes against ISIS in Syria, but to limit the use of ground troops. We've all watched that. Um, this past summer, you remember, riots broke out in Ferguson, Missouri after a white police officer named Darren Wilson shot and killed a black teenager named Michael Brown, and Wilson's acquittal uh, by a grand jury sparked national outrage, and the jury based their decision on the fact that under Missouri law, an officer, a police officer, is authorized to use lethal force if he believes he's acting in, what, self-defense, defense of human life, including his own. This past fall, you, I'm sure you followed that story of Brittany Maynard, 29-year-old woman with brain cancer, became the face of the U.S. right to die debate. She and her husband moved to Oregon from California to take advantage of the Oregon's uh, law, or what they call uh, the death with dignity law, uh, that allows people with terminal diseases to kill themselves. And she ended up taking her own life by ingesting lethal drugs that were prescribed by her doctor. But the official cause of death that's recorded on her death certificate was a brain tumor. That's what they do in the state of Oregon. Um, in January, of course, we were shocked at the Islamic terrorist attack on the Charlie Hebdo magazine headquarters in Paris. Sixteen people were killed uh, as a result of uh, publishing controversial cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, also in January, you may remember, on the night before the annual March of Life, when, when thousands of anti-abortion uh, demonstrators streamed to Washington, D.C. to mark the anniversary of 1973 Roe v. Wade uh, decision to legalize abortion. You remember this, uh, the, 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 the Republican Party uh, presented this controversial new abortion bill um, that would ban most abortions after 20 months of pregnancy, and it just fell apart uh, on the House floor. And uh, because of objections from even their own party members who were unhappy that the measure limited exemptions for victims of rape or incest to those who had previously reported those incidents to authorities. In other words, you had to report that. If you didn't report it, you don't qualify. They were concerned it was going to alienate women voters who obviously think it's their choice, right, whether or not what happens to their bodies. Um, kind of an egg-on-the-face moment for the GOP, Right. Um, how about this? SeaWorld recently unveiled a new advertising campaign to deflect animal rights criticism that they've received as a result of that highly critical documentary a year or two ago called Blackfish, which left the park with declining revenues and attendance and an official from the group of uh, group PETA. You guys know what that stands for, right? People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Hopefully you don't have any members here, but uh, we might. Um, they said that the ad campaign is a last-ditch effort to sway a public that has already made up its mind about SeaWorld. So, animal rights activists there. Um, here are just a few of the top stories in today's news. I mean, I just popped up MSN.com and started reading, and this is what I saw. A Wisconsin state trooper shot and killed in a shootout with a bank robbery suspect. Mississippi authorities and the FBI are trying to determine whether an African-American man found hanging from a tree committed suicide or was the victim of a homicide. The Newtown, Connecticut, home of Adam Lanza, carried out, uh, who, the, the guy who carried out that 2012 massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School, the house was demolished uh, to remove the visible reminder of that tragedy in that 
community. The family members uh, of murder suspect Richard Durst, uh, is, uh, they, they were tremendously relieved because he was finally arrested because they even feared for their lives that they were, he was going to kill them. Uh, ISIS has published a kill list, this is pretty shocking, that contains names, photos, home addresses of U.S. Armed Forces uh, personnel, uh, and they're, they're urging their followers and sympathizers here in the U.S. to kill these servicemen who were part of deadly attacks on ISIS forces. Pretty crazy. Protesters in Afghanistan demanding justice in, this, in a mob killing of an Afghan woman who was falsely accused of burning a Quran. She was brutally beaten with rocks and sticks before being run over by a car, set on fire, and then thrown in the Kabul River, which is the capital city of Afghanistan. thought this was interesting. Utah Governor Gary Herbert gave his stamp of approval to a law this week that brings back the firing squad in the only state that has used it in the past 40 years as a capital punishment means. Um, don't move to Utah, apparently, right? Uh, in the ongoing trial of the Boston Marathon bombing, jurors were shown pressure cooker parts, BBs, nails, pieces of fuses and things that were found in the, the brothers' apartment uh, who carried out that terror attack and killed three people. And then just a real gruesome thing. Again, court, of, court officers uh, in, in downtown Detroit area found the bodies of a 14-year-old girl and her 11-year-old brother stored in a deep freezer while serving an eviction notice in an apartment. And they arrested the mom on suspicion that she had killed her kids and put them in the deep freeze. Um, that was just today in our country. And while all these stories are, are very different from one another, they all have one thing in common. What do they have in common? They're all somehow related to the Sixth Commandment. Uh, murder, suicide, abortion, euthanasia, capital punishment, war, self-defense, animal rights are, are some of the, the, the challenging issues that are linked to this simple phrase, uh, you shall not murder. Now, obviously, we don't have near enough time tonight to tackle all of these controversial subjects in any depth. I mean, this could be a whole series of messages, uh, but I think any correct and complete discussion of the Sixth Commandment needs to at least touch on these things or mention these things or acknowledge these things. And so all that to say, whether we realize it or not, the Sixth Commandment, maybe more than any other commandment, influences our perspectives and convictions on so many relevant issues facing our world today. And so tonight, we're going to learn what the Sixth Commandment forbids and what it doesn't forbid. But first of all, we need to understand why God gave us the Sixth Commandment to begin with. And in order to do that, in order to understand that, we need to go back to the very beginning of the world. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Here we have the creation account. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Spirit of God records, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, that would be Shemu, and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which is fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you, and every beast of the earth, and every bird of the sky, and every thing that moves on the earth, which is life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So here we have the sixth day where God created man, and we were and are God's crowning achievement. We are his magnum opus, if you will. We are his greatest masterpiece. He saved the best for last. He said it, he said it himself. Uh, up to this point, he said everything that he created was what? Good. But after creating Adam, he said it was very good. Why? Why, why was it very good? Well, because all the 
of all the creative beings, man was the only one given the special honor and distinction of being made in what? God's image. He created us to reveal who he is and what he's like. We were designed to be mirrors that reflect his glory. And so the Bible says that God has put, his display, put, put on display his glory through the mountains and through the trees and the sun and the, and the moon and the stars and all the amazing animals that he created. But nothing reveals his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature more clearly than you. And me, human beings. And that's why we're, we're more special to him than everything else that he's made. And I think we need to come to grips with the fact that God made the heavens and the earth disposable. I always chuckle when I hear all the talk about global warming and all the concerns that people have about global warming. Well, this place is going to get torched at, at one point anyway. Um, it's going to be more than global warming. It's going to be global torching, or I don't know what you're going to call it, but um, the point is this, that God has already destroyed the earth once. With what? The flood, and someday the heavens and the earth will be destroyed with fire, as it says in 2 Peter. But God made you, God made me, God made people to last forever. Why? Because we have a soul that will never die, and that's what sets us apart from the rest of creation and makes us infinitely more valuable than every other living creature. God created us to have an inseparable, everlasting relationship with him. That's Genesis chapter 1. Now, Genesis chapter 2 records how God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, the garden of Eden, and commanded them to freely eat from every tree except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he warned them that if they did, they would surely what? Die. Talking about physical death and spiritual death being separated from him. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we, we know the story. Satan tricked Adam and Eve into eating from the forbidden tree, saying, You surely shall not what? Die? You're not gonna die. And with that one little lie, Satan succeeded in distorting God's image in man and destroying man's relationship with God. And I believe this is why Jesus said of Satan in John 8, that he was a murderer from the, what? From the very beginning. And I think he's referring to the Garden of Eden. Why? Because he incited man's physical and eternal death. He was the cause of our death, if you will. And because of the sin that Satan instigated, man was now eternally separated from God, which was symbolized by God casting Adam and Eve out of, out of the garden. And shortly after God banished Adam and Eve from the garden, he evidently instituted the sacrificial system whereby a man could make atonement for his sin and get back into a right relationship with God through a, 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 an animal sacrifice. Uh, we assume that based on what happened to Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. You remember the story in, in, in chapter 4 that the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. And the only reason we could conclude that, that God accepted uh, Abel's but not Cain's offering is because one was an animal sacrifice, one was a blood sacrifice, according to what God had required, uh, and, 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 and the other was just a, 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 a fruit sacrifice or a vegetable sacrifice. And so we know the story here that... Um, in chapter 4, we were only four chapters into the Bible, and you have the first murder. I mean, Satan already really committed the first murder in Genesis 3, right? When he murdered Adam and Eve spiritually. And then you have the first physical murder in Adam and Eve's sons. Cain murdered Abel, following in the footsteps of his father, the devil. And then Cain's descendants followed in, in his footsteps. If you look at verse 23 of chapter 4, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And so here's one of Cain's ancestors committing murder. 
And we know from that point, things just went downhill very rapidly because by Genesis 6, just, just a, a chapter later, um, God has had enough and he decided to wipe out everyone and start all over again. In Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and the birds and of the sky, for I'm sorry that I've made them. And so, of course, we know the, the flood story. Genesis 7 Eight and nine. And uh, when they got out of the ark, after the flood subsided in chapter 8, verse 20, it says that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Interesting. So now we are actually seeing the visible manifestation of sacrificial, the sacrificial system there. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be in a, on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you i give all to you as i gave the green plant so now things are changing here he's saying no longer you're no longer vegetarians right now you can eat meat um, that's kind of the new dispensation here. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require, and from every man, from every man's brother I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. And so in the same context where he says, now, listen, new rule, you can go out and kill any animal you want and eat it, but guess what? You better not kill each other. Why? Because what sets you, a man, another man, apart from an animal is what? For you are in the image of God, right? You, you were made in the image of God. So the reason why God commands us not to murder anyone is because we were made in his likeness. That's why life is so precious, because it is a gift from God. And because God is the one who gives life, he's the only one who has the authority to take life. No one else but him has the right to determine a person's destiny. He alone is sovereign over life and death. Alistair Begg has written a helpful little book on the Ten Commandments. This is what he said. He says, human life is the most precious thing in all the world, and to end it or direct its ending is God's prerogative. We honor God by respecting his image in each of us, which means preserving and furthering each other's welfare at all times. And so not only are we to value our own life, we are to value the life of others. Well, the problem is we live in a society that for the most part has a callous disregard for life. Many see nothing wrong with discarding an unwanted child, institutionalizing the handicapped or the disabled or the elderly. Uh, people are becoming more and more disposable, something that God never created them to be. He created the heavens and the earth to be disposable, but he didn't create us to be disposable. And so that's why we need to do everything we can to preserve and protect the sanctity of life, the specialness of life, the sacredness of life. And that's why God gave us the sixth commandment to guard and to protect life. We've got our title up there, 10 Timeless Truths to Guide and Guard Us on Our Journey Through Life. And so the sixth commandment specifically is intended to guard and protect life. Now, that was all for free. Okay, that's all kind of background, bringing us to the, to the, to the uh, Sixth Commandment here. And what I want to uh, talk to you about tonight specifically is what the Sixth Commandment doesn't forbid and what the Sixth Commandment forbids, okay? What the Sixth Commandment doesn't forbid and what the Sixth Commandment does forbid. So let's look first of all at what the Sixth Commandment doesn't forbid, 
Again, back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. Again, I mentioned this earlier in the original Hebrew. The sixth commandment is only two words. Lo rahak is what it's called. Rahak is one of the seven different Hebrew words for kill. And of the 47 times that it's used in the Old Testament, it is never used in the context of the Jewish legal system, the Israeli military, or killing animals, the, the, the sacrificial system. Uh, this particular word was only used to describe a deliberate, premeditated act of murder. And that's why the best way to translate this command is not simply, thou shalt not kill, but to be more specific, thou shalt not what? Murder. That is the best way to translate uh, this from the Hebrew. And I think this is an important clarification to make because people have used these words, thou shall not kill, to make a case for a lot of things that aren't necessarily biblical, like pacifism. Like, hey, the Bible says you shouldn't kill, so let's all be pacifists, you know, and, and let's not go to war, and, and let's not defend our families and, and, and our country and, and, uh, because it says not to kill. Some say, hey, the Bible says you shouldn't kill, so, so we shouldn't have a death penalty. Capital punishment is wrong. It's a violation of Scripture. Um, thou shall not kill. Prohibiting, uh, that, that means we can't do animal research. Uh, we, can't, uh, we can't go out and hunt and fish and, and do all those kinds. Hey, hey, you know what? God says don't kill, so let's just all be vegans. Because you're not supposed to, you know, kill, kill anything. So in other words, some assume that in God's mind, any and all taking of life is wrong. But that's not what the Sixth Commandment was talking about. What the Sixth Commandment forbids is the unlawful, unjust taking of life. The unlawful, the unjust taking of life. In other words, God doesn't forbid all kinds of killing. Did you hear that? That's a very important statement. God does not forbid all kinds of killing. According to his word, he gives us his permission to kill animals, Right? We saw that already. But also, at, at, at times, other humans in certain situations. You're like, okay, this sounds like heresy, okay? You're totally contradicting the Sixth Commandment. It says don't kill, and you're saying God's okay with killing animals and human beings in certain situations? Well, let me explain what I mean by that. Regarding animals, God commanded that animals be killed for religious sacrifices uh, for food and clothing. In fact, apparently God killed the first animal because when Adam and Eve discovered that they were naked, they, they, they went and hid. Well, next thing you know, it says that he made skin garments to cover them. So where does he get the skin from? Probably had to kill an animal. There, there's some um, foreshadowing or type there of maybe the sacrifice that was made initially by those animals in the garden, whatever they were, to, to cover them. Uh, that was a, a picture of what was going to happen in the future when Christ would cover us with his blood through the death and sacrifice of his son. So, so for food and clothing, and also just the management of earth's resources. It says that we are to rule over, God's given us dominion over the animals, and I know of guys even in this church that, that own deer leases and they have to go out there and they have to kill a certain amount of deer every year or, or, or it would get overpopulated and it wouldn't be good. And, and so they're out there you know, shooting deer and some people go, oh, I can't believe you'd shoot Bambi. And like, hey, listen, the Bible says take dominion over Bambi, all right? And uh, it, don't feel bad about that. Um, now, this doesn't mean that, 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 that God gave man the right to treat animals in an inhumane way. Um, I'm not saying go be mean to animals, but let's not forget that animals are not human. Okay? <laughs> we talk about inhumane treatment of animals. Well, listen, animals are not humans. Vegans love to talk about animals are our friends, and they, that's true, but they're not fellow humans. <laughs> Why? Why is that the case? Well, because they aren't created in the image of God. And they don't have a soul that will live forever. And so animal rights activists would have us believe that animals have the same rights as humans, but they don't and they never will. Because they don't have a soul. They're not created in the image of God. You say, okay, 
get the animal part, but what about killing humans? What are, you, what are you talking about? Well, I think there are three, at least three situations where taking of human life is justified in the eyes of God. Three situations where taking of human life is justified in the eyes of God. Number one, self-defense. Self-defense. Let me just give you some verses. I'll read you some verses if you can keep up. Uh, go for it. Exodus 22, verse 2. It says, if the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. In other words, if you catch a guy trying to rob your house or rob your car and, or whatever, rob your family, and, and he ends up getting killed in the process, it's not your fault. Um, it's the other guy's fault. So you're not going to be held guilty or responsible for, for defending yourself. Defending your home, defending your, 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 your things, defending your family. Um, how about Nehemiah? This is interesting. Uh, again, just drawing some principles here. Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, you remember that scenario. They were rebuilding the walls in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, and uh, they were being attacked or at least being threatened by uh, the Sanballat and, and, and the, Assyri- or, excuse me, the Samaritans. And so it says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 17, those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand, doing the work, and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpets, trumpeters stood near him. Listen, you don't carry a sword, okay, to, to just kind of shoo somebody away. You use a sword to fight and, if need be, to kill. And so Nehemiah gave them permission. Listen, we're, we could be attacked at any moment by our enemies, and so you've got, tra- you got a trowel in one hand and you got your sword in the other. And it was self-defense. Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, verse 36, says this, when things were... About to, get, about to heat up there with the disciples. This was at the end here after Passover, prep, preparing, Jesus was preparing his disciples for the Garden of Gethsemane and his arrest. He said this, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. You're about to need a sword, guys, because things are going to get crazy around here, so, so get a sword. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here in Texas where you got all your, you know, whatever they call that thing, a CDC license or whatever that thing's called. What is it called? CHL. What does it stand for? Carrying concealed handgun license. There you go. So you're like, you're preaching to the choir, man. I'm packing right now. (laughs) The, The point is this, okay? The turn the other cheek principle, which is biblical, we all know that. That applies to personal retaliation and revenge. That, that's, that, that's the getting back at people uh, principle, okay? But it, it, it doesn't talk about self-defense. It's not like, oh, here comes somebody with a gun into my house and he's got my, holding my wife at gunpoint and I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. That's not the point, okay? That's, that's for when somebody comes up to you and, and maybe takes something of yours or, you know, and, and you can, hey, give me your, you know, whatever, and you're like, hey, here, you want my shirt? Here, here's my coat, right? Um, you want me to go one mile? I'll walk two. It's, it's, it's not retaliating. It's, it's not getting revenge. But this is, we're talking about self-defense here, protecting yourself, protecting your family. Ultimately, you're protecting life. You're protecting life. So self-defense, I think, is, is one of the situations where taking of human life is justified in the eyes of God. Number two is capital punishment. Number two is capital punishment. I know this is a controversial subject, probably not for you folks, but uh, obviously you know in, in our country it is. Listen to some verses. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17. If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. In other words, if you kill somebody, you deserve to be killed. That's the principle from day one in God's mind. Uh, Romans, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 13 
You're familiar with this principle of government. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. My wife's always like, hey, honey, there's a cop. I'm like, so? I'm not doing anything wrong. I just wanted you to know he was there. Well, I'm going the speed limit. I'm not doing anything stupid. Why, why should I be afraid that there's a cop over there, right? In other words, you don't fear authority if you're not breaking the law. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. Now listen, but if you do what is evil, be afraid for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. The, the government was not given the authority to bear a sword to slap people on the wrist and go, hey, stop that, quit it, don't do that again. The sword was meant to kill, to bring judgment, to bring God's wrath upon them, if you will. Uh, 1 Peter says something very similar. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 Submit yourselves to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And then one more verse about capital punishment. Revelation chapter 13, verse 10. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Again, God's still saying the same thing. It starts way back in Leviticus and he's ending it in Revelation saying the same thing. Under Jewish law, there were 18 crimes worthy of the death penalty. Murder, child sacrifice, kidnapping, disrespecting parents, breaking the Sabbath, idolatry, incest, adultery, impersonating a prophet, witchcraft. These were all crimes or capital crimes worthy of death. And so the death penalty was one of the ways that God ordained to enforce the law, to enforce his standards. He also established human government and entrusted them with the authority to take life in order to punish murderers and to assure that justice is served. And so why I believe and why I think the Bible teaches that capital punishment um, is justified in the eyes of God is because executing murderers stops them from killing more people and deters others from doing the same, right? I mean, if like, hey, that guy killed somebody and he got killed, I'm not going to do that. I think if we practice the death penalty more in a more biblical way, you'd have a whole lot less crime. Trust me, there's not a whole lot of people stealing over in Arab countries because they've seen the guy without his, his hand, Right? They, they, they chopped off his hand. That, that deters stealing. Um, same thing with the death penalty. But because we've gone soft on that in our country, that's why murder and killing is rampant. Because it's extremely rare for somebody to ever get the death penalty anymore. So people think I can murder and get away with it. Get away with murder, right? So the death penalty protects and preserves life. I remember... Years ago, I was having a conversation with a couple of law enforcement officers. Uh, one, I think, was in our church at the time, and they had been in a situation where they had shot and killed an armed suspect who was a resisting arrest. And one of them asked me what I thought about that. You know, hey, I killed a guy. And I said, I just said, you know, it sounds to me like you were just doing your job. You shouldn't, I mean, yeah, that's a traumatic experience. I can't imagine shooting somebody or killing someone, but, but you were doing your job. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. Obviously, it was an unfortunate thing that that happened, but they were simply trying to protect themselves and, and everyone else who was involved in that situation. So again, the Sixth Commandment doesn't forbid killing if it's for the purpose of maintaining law and order. For the purpose of maintaining law and order. Uh, capital punishment. And then thirdly, the third situation, I think, where human life is... We're taking human life as justified in the eyes of God is what's called a just war. A just war. Notice I, just, I didn't just say war. Uh, I said just war. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16. 
This is what God said to the nation of Israel. Only in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes. He didn't just say go around and kill everybody. Anybody who stands your bed, just kill them. Kill them all off. No, only in the cities that... that um, that, that, that I'm giving you as an inheritance, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things which they have done for their God, so that you would sin against the Lord your God. Listen, you've got to kill these people or they're gonna, you're going to learn their ways. And so in God's mind, that was justified. Um, interesting the way the New Testament talks about the military um, again, these are some implications here. Luke chapter 3, verse 14. This is John the Baptist. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What are we to do? Right? He's baptizing them out in the wilderness, and he's like, hey, what, 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 what does repentance look like for us? And he said to them, sell your sword and ask for a dishonorable dis- or, or an honorable discharge. Is that what he said? No, he said, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. In other words, stay in the military and, and be a good soldier. And don't, don't take advantage of your authority. A- Acts chapter 10, verse 1, we're, we're introduced to Cornelius, uh, who was apparently a Roman centurion. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian court. This, this, was a, this was like a general. This was a guy way up in the military. And notice when, when Peter shows up, uh, he doesn't say anything about his military career. He just shares the gospel with him and assumes that he's going to continue as a saved, as a believing man, as a, as a born-again Christian. He was going to continue to be working as, as a centurion, but doing it with a totally different perspective, right? And then even Paul used soldiers or the military as an example of believers. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. All that to say that, that, that the military was not um, talked bad about in the Bible. It was, it was exalted. It was used as an example. And, and neither Jesus nor his apostles were pacifists. They, they, they never commanded soldiers to throw away their sword and, again, ply for discharge from the military. So you think about the world wars that we've had, the motive behind those world wars. Why did we as a, a nation enter into those world wars? Uh, you think about the war in the Middle East and, uh, unfortunately, not so much anymore defending Israel as Obama's reassessing our, 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 our policy with Israel, that we're no longer a friend of Israel. But hey, that was good enough reason for me to jump into a war in the Middle East. If you're going to side with Israel, you'd be a friend of Israel, right? Honor God in that regard, biblically speaking. But uh, war in the Middle East, war, just a general war against terror. What, what are we doing there? I think it's simply an international implication of the same principle of self-defense and capital punishment that we're defending ourselves or others against aggressive acts of terrorism. We're seeking to bring terrorists and those backing terrorism to justice. We're we're liberating people who have been under the oppressive rule of an evil dictator. Uh, uh, So we're talking about a just war. A just war is a war waged by a legitimate government for a legitimate purpose with, with means proportionate to the offense, and it distinguishes between soldiers and civilians. In other words, you're, you're, you're more on the defensive than you are on the offensive, and, and it's more for the purpose of liberation than it is for oppression. Big difference why Hitler went to war, right? He was going to take over stuff. He was going to, to oppress people. Um, as far as I know, we jumped into that to liberate people, which is a just cause for war. So again, the Sixth Commandment doesn't forbid killing if it is for the purpose of a just War. So just summarizing what the Sixth Commandment doesn't forbid, self-defense, capital punishment, just war, I think are all intended to protect and preserve the sanctity of life, to keep murderers and terrorists and dictators from killing other people. 
Philip Ryken, in his book on the Ten Commandments, says this, These examples show that not all killing is morally wrong. But why does God permit some forms of killing? What makes them lawful? The answer is that their goal is not the destruction of life, but the preservation of life. So it's all in your motive. God has given us permission to take life only in those situations where it will result in the preservation of life. One other quick note here. Not only did God give permission to take life in certain situations, he also made a provision in the Old Testament for accidental, unintentional deaths, what we call involuntary manslaughter, right? And you know that uh, in the Old Testament there was designated six cities um, called cities of refuge. You can read about them in Deuteronomy 19, Numbers 35. And and these six cities were to serve uh, as safe havens for those guilty of involuntary manslaughter. You're you're out there, you know, cutting away at at the tree and your axe head flies off and hits some guy in the head and he dies. And the whole family's like, let's get this guy. He killed our dad. He killed our husband. He killed, and, and they said, hey, listen, you didn't mean to do that. That was not malicious. That was involuntary. Uh, and so you can flee to the city of refuge, find refuge, find safe haven there, and they can't come and kill you. So God made provision for an unintentional, accidental death. So that's what the Sixth Commandment doesn't forbid. Now let's talk about what the Sixth Commandment does forbid. What does the sixth commandment forbid? What did, Jesus, what, did, what did God mean when he said, you shall not murder? Well, obviously, number one would be homicide. Homicide. Uh, Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which... He may flee, talking about this city of refuge. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even, at, even from my altar and he, that, that he may die. Numbers 35 says uh, a similar thing here. Numbers 35, verse 30. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death at the evidence of witnesses, but no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall not take a ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. In other words, don't bargain with a murderer. Kill him. Put him to death. Uh, Now, you and I both know the sixth commandment is broken thousands of times every day all over the world whenever a person is shot, stabbed, or beaten to death. We, we, we watch the news uh, at night and, and we're, we're horrified as we watch the latest terrorist attack or the soldier who's killed uh, or, or a victim of a, of a drive-by shooting or abduction or a rape or a strangling. But then why do we go and flip the channel to be entertained by our favorite crime show? Just asking that basically shows the same kinds of things, gruesome crime scenes, reenacts brutal acts of violence. Seems like our culture is more and more intrigued by sadistic horror movies that glorify dismembering and mutilating people's bodies. We let our kids play violent video games where they sit for hours blowing people up and shooting people. And, um, and then we act surprised when one of those kids shows up at a school and shoots people. Why, why would we be shocked by that? We should be surprised that it doesn't happen more often, considering the fact that we've been raised in a society that finds the destruction of human life entertaining, and so we become very desensitized to death. And so I think we need to ask ourselves as Christians, are we being entertained by things that God forbids or by things for which Christ died? And so the sixth commandment forbids premeditated, cold-blooded murder. So homicide, number one. Number two is suicide. When it says, thou shalt not murder, that includes suicide. Suicide is self-murder. It's murdering yourself. 
And we don't have time to look in detail, but I think you're aware of the, the suicide of Saul when he fell on his sword, uh, when he knew he was going to die. Uh, Ahithophel, uh, David's um, a counselor who defected to, to Absalom's side, and when he realized that he made a bad decision and, and, and the, the coup that he was a part of was going to fail, he ended up committing suicide so he wouldn't have to face you know, the, the David again. Zimri, interesting story in 1 Kings 16, uh, he was a king who, who or tried to conspire against the reigning king, and when he realized his conspiracy only lasted seven days and he was overthrown, he went into the king's house and burned the house down on top of himself committed suicide. Judas, of course, probably the most famous uh, suicide in the Bible. He went out after he had betrayed Christ and he hung himself. It says he fell headlong and his guts came out, split open. Um, The point is that every suicide recorded in the Bible was committed by a man who was guilt-stricken as a result of sinful choices that he had made. I'll never forget reading about um, the former director of Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, a ministry that we know and love and, and have been tremendously blessed by. And, and, and apparently uh, he had been overtaken by sin and been involved in, 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 in sexual relationships with a minor. And, 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 and all of a sudden it came out and they found him in the VOM warehouse having committed suicide because it was just, he couldn't, fathom living life with the guilt of that sin. It's a common thing. And so these kinds of sinful choices lead to a final sinful choice to kill yourself. And so let me just say it very simply. Suicide is sin. Suicide is sin. It's a sin to commit suicide, but it's not the unpardonable sin. Some religions, some people believe, right, that if you commit suicide, where are you going? You're going straight to hell. That's what some religions teach. That's what some people believe. But where we spend eternity doesn't depend on whether or not we commit suicide, but whether or not we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. That's what determines whether, whether we go to heaven or hell. And I, I believe that it is possible for a Christian to commit suicide. Now, what a terrible testimony for Christ, that one of his followers would get so depressed and so disoriented that they lose all their joy, they lose all their hope, they feel helpless, and that the only solution to their problems is to kill themselves. That's a bad witness for Christ. And while it may cause us to question a person's commitment to Christ, we shouldn't automatically assume that that person went to hell any more than if they killed someone and then died in some other way. The point is, suicide is spurning God's sovereignty over our life. It's defiantly declaring that we're in charge of our lives. We are the master of our destiny. And so the sixth commandment forbids taking your own life. And so we've got homicide, we've got suicide, and then we've got abortion. We've got abortion. Obviously, that fits under the category of of murder, Uh, Exodus chapter 21, interesting here, 21 verse 22, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with a child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there's no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge decides. So hey, two guys get in a fight, and next thing you know, uh, they they injure a a pregnant lady who's who's in their way, uh, and she gets hit or knocked over, and, and the baby comes prematurely, and if there's no injury, he just has to pay a fine, whatever the husband deems necessary. But, verse 23, if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In other words, if that baby dies in the womb, then you're guilty of what? Of murder. And so in God's eyes, to deliberately cause the death of an unborn child is considered murder and punishable by Death, And I don't need to give you all the statistics about abortion, um, but simply to say from, from the moment it was legalized, abortion was legalized in our country in 1973, over 55 million abortions have been performed in this country. It's just unfathomable. 
and we, we, we get all uptight about Hitler's Holocaust and how many Jews he killed. It doesn't even come close to 55 million, right? It was thousands, but not millions. And, and the, the, the abortion debate for the past 40 years has always centered on when a fetus becomes what? A human being who's entitled to, to live, have, have the right to life. Well, the, the Bible makes it unmistakably clear that human life begins at the moment of conception. Probably the best verse to go to in the abortion debate is Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. In other words, as long as that baby's in the womb, it has the right to live. Because life begins at the moment of Conception. How about John the Baptist? You ever thought of that, bringing that one out uh, in, in an argument about abortion? What, what happened when Mary um, went to go see Elizabeth to tell her about she had seen the angel and she was going to give birth to the Son of God? And what happened? John the Baptist did a little somersault inside of the womb there. Don't tell me that wasn't a real life. What about the, in the case of rape? This is where it gets touchy, right? What about rape or if a mother's life is at risk during pregnancy or delivery? Is abortion an option at that point? Well, at that point, we have to fall back on the character of God, and we know that God is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over all things, even sinful things like rape. I'll never forget a mentor of mine years ago tells the story of how he got a phone call of a, of a buddy of his, and he, he, he said to him, he, he got on the phone, he was frantic. He said, listen, I'm in the emergency room right now. My wife is, is, is uh, in labor, and then they're telling me that if we don't take the baby's life, she's going to die. What do I do? And so he was distraught. He didn't know, your wife's going to die? If we don't kill this baby, it's going to take the, the, the life of your wife. What do you want us to do? And, and my mentor said, he just answered very simply, don't play God. Don't play God. Just, just let it work out the way it's going to work out. Let God make that decision. That's not your decision to make. Let God make that decision. And what happened was God chose to take that baby and spare his wife. But they didn't have an abortion. And so what pro-choice people need to understand that it's not the mother's right to choose or the doctor's right to choose. The choice belongs to God and to God alone. It's for him to decide, not for you, not for me, not for anyone else. Now, I, I feel like I also need to say this. When, whenever you talk about abortion, to acknowledge the fact that there may be someone here in a group this size with the rate of abortion that we know has gone on in our country, um, you may have had an abortion at some point in, in your past. And, and you need to know tonight that God is willing and able to forgive you for that sinful choice that you made, just like he does any other sinful choice you may have made in the past. He's gracious, he's merciful. And so if you've never dealt with that particular sin, you're still living with guilt from that, then just confess it to him as sin and ask him to forgive you. And if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to what? To forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if you've already asked him to forgive you for that, but the devil just loves to hang that over your head, make you feel guilty, guess what? God's not holding that over your head. God's not holding that against you. And so you can be encouraged. You can know that you're forgiven. It's covered by the blood. Amen? And so the sixth commandment forbids murdering unborn babies. And so homicide, suicide, abortion. And then how about this? Euthanasia. Euthanasia. Um, 
you're aware, I'm sure, that uh, there are a few European countries that have just wholesale legalized euthanasia throughout the country. I think our country is not far behind. Just because uh, the infamous suicide doctor Jack Kevorkian died several years ago, uh, this issue is far from settled in our country. Uh, you can move to Oregon, you can go to Washington, you can go to Vermont, three of the most liberal states in our union. Uh, you can, you can uh, basically have a dignified death. You can get a doctor to prescribe for you uh, lethal doses of medication. Let me just say this, because when it comes to euthanasia, this gets really hazy when you're there with your elderly parents or loved one who's maybe been in a horrific accident or a stroke or, um, and, and they're basically being kept alive uh, through you know, different pumps and machines and you know, the doctor comes and says, hey, do you want us to pull the plug? Well, I mean, that is probably the most difficult decision you might ever have to make in life. But I think it's the right choice if a person's heart and brain have stopped functioning and they can no longer sustain life on their own. If it's the machines that are just keeping them alive and their bodies already, if you take them off, their body could not sustain life. You're not killing them. You're not euthanizing them. They're going to die a natural death. Euthanasia is totally different. That's saying that a person has a right to die with dignity and it's an act of compassion to put them out of their misery. And again, the emphasis is placed on the quality of life rather than the value or the dignity of life. And so the sixth commandment forbids assisted suicide or forcing someone to die prematurely rather than naturally. Hopefully you'll never have to be in that situation, but I know I've showed up at the hospital and in ICU and people are like, hey, what do we do? And I've just tried to encourage them that I think if, if this is going to, if you take them off these, these machines and they will die a natural death, you have not euthanized them. You've not violated the sixth commandment. Hopefully you're wise enough also to sign some do not resuscitate piece of paper somewhere to make it a lot easier for your family to make that decision, right? So far, so we talked about what most people would consider the four most extreme violations of the Sixth Commandment, okay? We're, we're talking about, you know, murder. Well, you, yeah, I haven't killed anybody. Suicide. I haven't committed suicide. Uh, you know, I haven't had an abortion. I've not euthanized grandma. So, so you think, well, hey, I, hey this, this might be the one commandment I've not broken. At least I can check off one. Well, can I just take you to one passage in the New Testament that talks about how the sixth commandment is probably the most blatantly and brutally violated? Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. Jesus is quoting the sixth commandment. And whoever commits murder, they shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you, excuse me, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. This is what you could call homicide of the heart. Because Jesus went straight to the heart of the sixth commandment. And he exposed that the sixth commandment doesn't just forbid murder, but it also forbids all the sins that lead up to murder. Anger, hatred, envy, malice, revenge, cursing. And you think about it, it was, it was, it was anger, it was hatred, it was envy that caused Cain to kill Abel that provoked Joseph's brother to want to kill him. It, it's what stirred Saul into this jealous rage against David. It inspired Haman's wicked plot to hang Mordecai. It drove the Pharisees to crucify Jesus. It started in their minds, and it leaked out of their mouths. And so you've got mind murder, you've got mouth murder. Mind murder begins in your mind and your heart. When, when your heart gets inflamed with rage, and that rage, rage begins to spew out of your mouth like a volcano, and then you kill someone in an act of rage. 
You're drawn away and enticed, like it says in James 1.14, and lust is conceived. It gives birth to sin, and sin is accomplished. It brings forth death. You, you lust and do not have, James 4.2, so you commit murder. In other words, you, you didn't get what you wanted, and so you killed to get it or to get revenge. I mean, have you ever gotten so mad at someone that you wanted to kill them or you wish they were dead? There's an expression we use, if looks could kill. If looks could kill. So you've got mind murder. You've also got, in other words, murdering people in your mind. You've got mouth murder. Murderous acts, excuse me, murderous thoughts and attitudes lead to murderous words, murderous acts. Whatever is, is in your heart is bound to come out of your mouth. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders. Have you ever gotten so mad at someone that you cussed them out or, or verbally assassinated them? That's what he's saying here. When you, when you call someone raka, you empty head, you good for nothing, you idiot, you fool, you moron. The point is this. Just because we've never shed someone's blood doesn't mean we haven't murdered them in our thoughts or with our words. And people are getting murdered every day in people's minds, and they're being murdered every day through their mouths. 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Revelation 21.8, for for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Revelation twenty two fifteen. outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Listen, murderer is in the list of sins that keeps you out of heaven. You say, well, wait a minute. So what are you saying? Is it like if you commit murder, you're, you're, you're bound to go to hell? If you don't know Jesus. And this is where the gospel comes into the sixth commandment is guess what? Jesus Christ was murdered for you. Jesus Christ was murdered for you. God killed his own son to rescue murderers like you and me from our sins so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. And you remember when Peter confronted the Jews on the day of Pentecost and he said, this man, Jesus, who was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you put to death. Yeah, God was sovereign over the, the crucifixion, but you're the one that nailed him to the cross. You murdered your Messiah. And so he confronted them. Paul, Peter confronted them. And what did they do? It said they were pierced to the heart and they repented. And they placed their faith in Christ as the one who died and, and rose again so they could be forgiven for their sin of murdering him. And so that's the good news of the gospel right there is that if you repent and embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can be forgiven for all the times that you have murdered someone in your mind, murdered someone with your words, or actually maybe even murdered someone, or had an abortion, or euthanized someone, or whatever else we talked about tonight. Bottom line, listen, if you reject Christ, you are committing spiritual suicide. That's the unpardonable sin. Because if you reject Christ, there's no other means to be saved. And so if you value your life, and more importantly, you value your soul that will live forever in either heaven or hell, then you need to come to Christ. And he will save your life, and he will save your soul. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this commandment. Lord, we've covered a lot of ground tonight, a lot of different issues that we've just really touched on, probably not enough to provide a whole lot of clarity, maybe just maybe create more questions, but I pray that you would 
use this message to drive us all back to your word, uh, to be good Bereans and to just analyze uh, these, these, these hot topics, these controversial subjects from a biblical perspective, Lord, that we would think biblically about these things, that, that we would not be conformed uh, to this world in our thinking, but we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here struggling with, with how they maybe have violated the, the sixth commandment in the past, Lord, that you would uh, help them to embrace the, the forgiveness that, that you offer in Christ, that they would repent of their sin and they would come to you and commit their life to follow Christ. And for those that are already Christians, Lord, who may just continue to struggle with guilt, Lord, that you would give them freedom from that guilt even tonight reminding them of the good news of the gospel, that Christ was murdered, uh, was killed so that, that to cover uh, their own sin of murder and killing. And so, Lord, we thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Pray that you would bless us now as we go and seek to put this into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.